Hideakiano is masterpiece of of telling people to go outside and touch grass. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> An appropriately timed message. <laughs> And welcome to the Atcast, a podcast for the study of modern visual culture. I'm your illustrious destroyer of Evangelion, Soup. <laughs> and I'm your 13th Angel Renu. This week, AT stands for Absolute Terror, because we'll be talking about Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0, Thrice Upon a Time, or Shin Evangelion Geki Joban. But before we get into that, what have we been up to? So I don't want to spend like too much time on ketchup since I'm really eager to get into the topic. But basically to sum up the past like month and a half of my life, I've had a a convention like every two weeks. (laughs) Um, So my appearance on the Internet has been quite spotty. Uh, If you guys have been attending Soupy and me uh, and our stream uh, Ace Attorney, you would know that I've had to miss out like every other week, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's been busy, but fun. Uh, I got to meet up again with a bunch of artists that I haven't seen in uh, two years, essentially. Um, so we had a nice, um, cute little reunion and all that. Uh, and um, a lot of people are eager to get out of the house and do stuff again. Um conventions are for the most part trying to keep things as safe as possible they're requiring everyone to be vaccinated um fully vaccinated even and bring their vaccination records and everything and wear masks at all times hand sanitizer hand washing and all of that you know um trying to keep things uh you know as gucci as possible but yeah no it's been great i'm I've gotten to the point where I haven't had much time to restock, and so my last convention that happened just now, um, I got cleaned out. I um, came home with very little things, which is great. Yeah. So I won't have another convention for until November, so that'll be cool. I can rest for a while. (laughs) Nice, nice. Yep. Yeah. So what about you? I have, like, like, a couple of small things, really. Um, I got a uh, a couple of pairs of new glasses. Um, so I oh. got one for regular wear, and I got one for uh, sunglasses for driving. Because for some reason, I had sunglasses that were like prescription sunglasses, and um, at some point in the transition between like uh, the because uh, my sister and I were sharing a car, and we're still sharing a car, but we transitioned to sharing like a different car. And in that time, uh, my sunglasses just sort of, like, disappeared, which kind of sucks. Um, <laughs> because because they're prescription sunglasses for my, like, really bad prescription, so they're, like, expensive. And oh, no. Not only are they expensive, they're completely pointless for anybody that's not me. 
<laughs> like you couldn't even realistically, I think, sell these for anything more than like scrap change, right? Oh my god! But um, which which is sad because I, I like that pair of sunglasses a lot. That that pair Aww. was really nice, but. Whatever, I have a new pair of sunglasses, I have a new pair of glasses. Um, I've been rocking the new pair of glasses for a while now. Mm. Um, about, about like, two or three weeks now. And um, it's been really weird. I, like, it's like when you dye your hair, and you forget that you dye your hair. So every time you look in the mirror, you're like, oh, what, what, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, it, it defamiliarizes you with your face in a way that's um, very bizarre. Um, <laughs> sure. But... I I've come to I've come to enjoy my new glasses. Um I've been using the other glasses for uh like 3ish years now. Um Ooh. they're the ones I got uh when my other glasses like broke, like when they uh-huh. just like, kind of snapped down the middle. Um oh and that God. that pair was like um it was like like plastic like polycarbonate stuff. Uh and it was like chipping. Like the the nose bridge was like chipping cuz like that's where it like touches like my face oils and um presumably mm. like you know the uh the face products i use and stuff so um it's been on the way out for a while now but uh it has at least hung in there until uh until i could swap them out i got a new pair and um i'm really enjoying it this is the first time i've had metal glasses in in quite some time i got to say um mm-hmm. cuz i didn't have metal glasses for like s- basically the entire time i was in college i think um yeah, I, I made the switch over sometime in like senior year of college, uh, not mm. not college, uh, high school or something. Um, and from then on, I I just never wore polycarbonates, uh, or uh, not polycarbonate. Uh, I've never worn metal lens uh, frames until now. Um, and as a result, this is the first glass I've had in a while that have like nose pads. <laughs> so, um, oh, <laughs> it's it's been interesting. Um, I I'm actually really sad, and I I mentioned this to you um when we were watching um you know that thing together. Um, I am so upset about the the style of glasses that like are popular here in in you know the states because one, um, a lot of we've kind of wrapped back around to like uh like big like bottle cap glasses but like with very thin frames, um, because that's like kind of what's like trendy now, right? Mm-hmm. But I like those. I cannot wear them. My my prescription is too strong. I cannot wear those. <laughs> my glasses will not fit in those because they are too powerful. Oh no! So that that's I'm like you know even with like the the like featherweight you know the like the lightest the the sort of like lightest and smallest the glasses can be. It's still just like too. It doesn't fit. The shape just doesn't fit. Ah, uh, uh, whatever. Um, but the other bad thing is. We don't have more interesting styles. Like, I really want um, glasses, uh, and uh, we mentioned this. Um, I really want those, like, half-rim glasses, the ones that, like, the bottom is rimmed and the top is, like, open, um, which is a very popular style in Japan. Not mm-hmm. a very popular style here, uh, by which I mean <laughs> it's, like, very difficult to find th- those kinds of glasses here, which sucks. Right. Um <laughs> My like dream pair of glasses is a uh, it's funnily enough um a Grand Blue Fantasy like collaboration um frame so <sighs> That's <Whatever>. cute though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it looks really nice and I, I if I had glasses like that even if they were like more plain if they didn't have the little details I I don't really care. The, the like shape of it is is really nice and I I really yeah. want those but mm-hmm. um for now, you know, I'll 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 live with these. Um they're nice enough and they didn't like 
super break the bank because they were from Costco. Uh, Costco is mm-hmm. a very nice place to get your glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, they even accept some kinds of uh, some kinds of insurance if you have if you have that. Wow. Yeah. So I've done that. Um, I have uh, been doing, like mostly doing a lot of streaming recently. Um, I finished Kiwami Two, uh, Yakuza Kiwami Two. Yeah. And have started Yakuza 3. Um, that it's okay. It is very funny going from Yakuza Kiwami 2, which is the the remake of Yakuza 2, to just the remaster of Yakuza 3. Right. Because like because <laughs> you have all of the like polished systems of like the newest games. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the kind of like uh, weighty animation, and then you mm-hmm. go to Yakuza 3, and like you can just like turn Kiryu on a dime. And you're like. Wee! Um, I was wondering, that's what I'm afraid of when I start Yakuza 3, is that it'll feel so, like, a step back, like, such a mm-hmm. big step back from, yeah. from it, 0 and 1 and 2, Kiwami. It, it definitely feels <laughs> um, like like uh, you are uh, being transported back, back to an earlier era of video games. But, uh, honestly... I think with a little bit of adjustment, um, it's like a little bit of time to adjust. It's not too bad. Like obviously, it's it's still Yakuza. Like you still press the buttons and you beat people up. Uh, and that part is is still fun. I think the most annoying thing for me personally is the map, um, because in the remakes and Zero, you can essentially press one button and go to the map. But there's no such pathway, I think, to get to the map in Yakuza Three. So you have to like press start and then you have to go like to the menu and then you have to click the menu and then you have to click x to like zoom in on the menu and then you can look around and it's just, <laughs> it's like oh my god this is so clunky like <laughs> this is oh the ui design is literally literally destroying me um plus like returning to the the system where you only have like uh X number of inventory slots total for like all your equipment and your items is like kind of it feels like such a downgrade. You're like, no, let me carry all the stamina. Uh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, overall, it's it's still a good time, and I think Yakuza Three is uh is shaping up to be very interesting. Um, okay. I, I like that it is about it's set in Okinawa, um, and it. It's, it just comes out the gate with like, all right, so here's Okinawa, here's Kiryu, he's been living here for a little bit, and now they want to build either a resort here or a military base. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> 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 which, is, which is great, because like, um, both of those things would be really bad, you know, for various yeah. reasons. Um, for those of you that don't know, Okinawa is like Japan's Hawaii. So mm-hmm. it is like a um, more kind of tropical uh, island-like um, vibe, right? And as a result, it has all of the kind of problems that Hawaii does, where it's like a very big like tourist destination. Um, like people, like the the people who live there uh, are basically always in danger of like the financial collapse of the entire economy and people keep trying to build shit there right and and obviously like okinawa has a history of of housing american military bases um so it's uh it's mm. interesting mm-hmm. um i and it, it is exp- is very explicitly political um which isn't to say like you know yakuza isn't explicitly political uh-huh. god knows the like plot of the last couple <laughs> games you know uh-huh. <laughs> um 
but yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been having a good time with it. I'm. Um, good. I'm real. I'm really just looking looking forward to getting back into it. Um, and sinking my teeth into it. Uh, <laughs> but it's definitely a, like it's like getting into a cold pool. Uh, after um being in like a a nice like chill like hot tub for a while, you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Back in my day, game design, you had to press six buttons to get to the map and all that. You know. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, you know, uh, that is also kind of one of the appeals of it, right? It's like um, you get to you get to kind of interact with the game as as it was, more or less. Um, I don't know exactly what the remaster of it means um, to the extent of I don't know if they've changed anything other than like maybe done something to the graphics it looks a lot chunkier too which is which is very funny like you go from the the cutscenes of the the previous games where you can like see all of the pores on like all the actors and then like here's kiryu he is very chunky he's very blocky he's a big rectangle man (laughs) (laughs) yeah um having a great time though yakuza's fun you know yeah, never I mean, it should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, looking forward to to playing more of that. Uh, and that's that's mostly what I've been up to. Um, can't say that there's a lot more interesting. Oh, my parents are setting up a hot tub. Uh, we've had a hot tub for. Oh, <laughs> we got the hot tub a while ago, but um, uh-huh. my dad has not bothered to set it up, and so it's just been sitting there. But it sounds like he wants to set it up tonight and uh, use it. So, um, I'll report back, I guess, next time about, um, how it is, uh, but uh, having a hot tub sounds really nice. It's been really cold here lately, for the last couple of days, at least. It's been very, like, cold. Um, mm. not like, you know, cold, cold, but, like, it, it's, it was consistently, like, 90, 100 degrees for a while, and, uh, this week it's been, like, 70, right? It's, like, mm-hmm. a very stark difference, <laughs> so it's been weird, but... <laughs> Yeah. Without further ado, shall we talk about Evangelion? The last one. <laughs> the last one. Well, okay, we should probably talk about the previous one first. Yes, so we haven't touched on Evangelion 3.0. Um, so since this is 3.0 Look forward plus to this 1.0, Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go ahead and, and touch on it now. Um Yeah, so 3.0, controversially to the fans, starts after a huge time skip. Um, Shinji's been locked away in after uh, causing the near third impact in mm-hmm. at the end of 2.0. Um, we uh, learn that it has catastrophic consequences, um, along with Shinji, um, as he kind of wakes up and realizes that absolutely everyone around him hates him. <laughs> Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Asuka tries to punch him through glass. Misato doesn't want anything to do with him. Everyone pretty openly despises him. Um, and they're all in- begging him to never uh, pilot Neva ever again. Um, and he is just confused because he thought that he saved Rey at the end of 2.0. Um, because that was what he was trying to do the whole time at the end. Um, by getting into the Eva and going after her. Um, then, uh, while he's being despised and imprisoned and whatnot, um, a Ray-like voice calls to him, and he calls back, and then suddenly an Ava 
bursts through the hull of the ship and and is there to collect Shinji. Um, and he goes with her and again um, is begged to not pilot the Ava by uh, none other than Toji's little sister, Sakura. <laughs> um, and then he, he gets taken away. He gets taken to Nerve, where he meets his um, pretty soon-to-be boyfriend, Kaoru. <laughs> yep. Um, they uh, essentially are wrapped up in Gendo's scheme to uh, have them co-pilot a, uh, um, basically a dual-rigged Evangelion, where they can have two pilots um, in, in, at the same time. It's got uh, a double-entry plug system. And uh, in the meantime, Shinji and Kaoru get to know each other, and uh, Shinji has to contend with the fact that he ended the world, that the ray that he meets in, in at Nerve is not the same ray that he had tried to save. Um, and yeah, uh, Kaoru shows him that the world has uh, gone through yet another mass extinction, which is apparently not uncommon for their world. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um they uh he proposes that them piloting the Ava together will allow them to save the world. Um and allow Shinji a chance at redemption and hope and all of that. So Shinji agrees to do this with him. They they play piano to bond with each other and, and to synchronize and everything. Um so when they hop into the robot uh, they go down and uh, are uh, interrupted by Mari and Asuka and um, Misato, who is the head of Wile, who is this organization that is built to oppose Nerve and Gendo and all of them because um, it's become very apparent by now that Gendo wants to destroy everything according to them. And um, they are there to stop him. Um, and uh, essentially the conflict ends with Shinji being deceived into taking up two spears of Cassius. And that essentially causes um, yet another, or is like the trigger for yet another impact. And... Um, <laughs> The whole time there's this uh, theme of a uh, DSS choker that was placed on Shinji at the very beginning that's meant to essentially stop him from being a trigger for the next impact. Um, and by do um, it will explode his head, essentially, if uh, they detect that he is going to become a trigger. But over the course of him and Kaoru bonding, Kaoru removes the choker from him and puts it on around his own neck to essentially show that he wants to share in Shinji's burden and, and help him, you know, take responsibility for what happened. Um, and he wants to gain Shinji's trust by doing so as well. But because the trigger for the impact is happening anyway because of Kaoru's presence, um, Misato activates the choker and then Kaoru dies instead. Um... And then the movie basically ends after that. Um, Asuka, I think, um, I'm trying to remember if it was Asuka or Mari who gets Shinji out, but um, regardless, 
Shinji, Asuka, and Rei end up separated from Mari and um, the rest of Wile, and they end up wandering the uh, the hellscape that is left of Earth <laughs> mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. So that is a very rough summary of 3.0. Definitely watch it for yourself. It's the movie that I've rewatched the most, and yet I can't, I still can't <laughs> summarize uh, it appropriately. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, with that, uh, let's get into Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0, Thrice Upon a Time. Yeah. So for this movie really references the previous rebuilds, even though the staff say that you only really need to have watched um, the end of Evangelion to understand um, Sheen Evangelion. I think I my personal opinion is that you should <laughs> yeah. watch, you should probably watch all of the other rebuilds first um, yeah, before you yeah. hop into this one. I, I think you really, have yeah. to watch 3.0. Yeah, I think I, you should. I don't. I don't think that's negotiable. <laughs> but I mean, that's what they said. It's like, oh, you only because this is just like this is just like End of Evangelion, so you should just watch that. But it's, it's like really stuff. <laughs> it's really not. It, it builds on like everything that you've you've uh, created through the rebuild universe or iteration of this universe. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely watch that before you hop into this because it just picks up right where it leaves off in 3.0 with the uh, the pilots walking through the red um, world that has been apparently transformed into, like, core material or something like that. And mm-hmm. um, all of the headless Evangelion-looking things in the background are the human remains um, that had been affected by the near third impact, so yep. it's all apparently mm-hmm. people, which yeah. is really horrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty it's pretty spooky. Uh, yeah, I I would not want to live in that zombie uh, apocalypse movie. That particular one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I guess I guess the best place to start would be would be by talking uh, about the animation, which which is of course gorgeous. Um, yes, mm-hmm. it is probably like the best looking anime movie. I think. I, mm-hmm. I mean, just in terms of like technical proficiency, um, uh, from like just all the backgrounds to the the way that the action scenes uh blend like 2D and CG animation uh to the like process it, like you can tell why this movie was delayed like three different times before oh, yeah. it came out. Uh this- apparently rumor has it that whenever Anna wanted something and it couldn't be done with their current technology, he would just delay the movie. Just invent it. <laughs> yeah, until until it could be done. <laughs> I mean, that that makes sense to be fair. Like yeah. I if I were to like uh, essentially be creating the the sort of final version of my my creative work, um, right? I, I would want I would want to not have to go back and do it again. Yeah. You know? Um, like the rebuilds of Evangelion are basically uh, Hirakiano being like, "This is Evangelion the way I always wanted to make it," and mm-hmm. you know, like thirty years down the line, uh, yeah, it sure does look like that, bud. There is a lot <laughs> going on here. Um. <laughs> But yeah, I I was constantly astounded by, you know, not just the the very fluid and uh and interesting like action sequences, 
um, and the like bombastic set pieces, you know, all the the boats being strung along by oh, uh, wire my God. and flying around, right? That stuff was all very impressive, but um, like uh, I I know that when we were watching it together, you know, you kept pointing out how how good the backgrounds were and how how very pretty yeah. they are, right? Yes. Like just everything in this movie is just it's they just nailed it, right? Mm-hmm. One hundred percent, they just nailed it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and that is is interesting because like uh, along with the. Just the sort of like uh, upgrade, I guess, in terms of fidelity um, in uh, you know new processes and technologies um, and workflows, right? It it also is very interesting that um, we get a version of Evangelion that feels so much more like populated and uh, yeah and full, right? Where the original Evangelions, um, it's kind of a kind of a myth that like they were uh, like very like budget restrained uh it was mostly just like production honestly um Mm -hmm. that that made them like that um obviously you know the last couple episodes are are those like very just abstract like pencil drawings um and you know like it's it is um it is very interesting that like evangelion uh originally and i'm sure we've mentioned this in one of the previous episodes about uh about the the rebuilds but they feel so much more populated and much less abstract, but it's it's also very interesting because um, it serves a thematic purpose in the the sort of uh, progression of uh, of Evangelion as a as a piece about you know Shinji maybe as like a metaphor for for Anno's depression and moving into you know the rebuilds uh, where it is it feels so much more alive um, and it's kind of like Anno is like expressing the difference between you know where he was back then and where he is now right um mm-hmm. it feels like there is a marked difference in in the way that like people are treated um in these movies uh as opposed to the to the series yeah so this movie is is just it's it's a lot um there's a <laughs> it lot sure to, is to a take lot <laughs> in, um but at the same time it, it's actually very straightforward i think for, for at least for an ava movie it's very straightforward like obviously there's all the stuff about uh pew pew got the the secret organizations we're trying to melt everybody into human soup right you got all that stuff going on um but at the end of the day the the sort of core the core of the movie is is very much just we're gonna end Evangelion now. It's it's over, guys. Right? Like, yes. You know, um, it's a very contemplative, like, pensive movie where Shinji just spends like half of it, tra- like like two thirds of it, just traumatized. Yes, He's yes. Just, he literally <laughs> just sits there and he doesn't say anything. He just has traumatic flashbacks about uh, about watching Kaoru's head explode. Right? Yeah, and it's it it is so different because. Um, the first scene, obviously, is this big action set piece um, where Mari is like fighting off a bunch of uh, mm-hmm. a bunch of these like um, man-made like Avas, right? And um, then you just spend the next like hour just going along with uh, Shinji being in like a like, just a catatonic state where he does he doesn't do anything, and then like uh, Asuka and Ray are just kind of like living their lives, right? Right, mm-hmm. and that sounds like 
that sounds like it could potentially be very boring, right? <laughs> but I promise you it is not. And I think it's such a like strong like uh it's it's just like such a decision to make for your main character to just not do anything for for like most of the movie. And I think it really just kind of works for for yeah. many reasons that we'll obviously get into. I mean, on on the one hand, it's not the first time that Ano has done this kind of thing with Shinji or Right. You know, Shinji has done this before where he's left and just you just follow him wandering through uh the outskirts of the city and it's very quiet he just keeps going there's no action or anything there's not hardly any talking at all except for at the very end when he reaches an uncrossable bridge and then he finally says all right you know he he acknowledges the fact that he's been followed this whole time and that he's ready right. to go back you know so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um so it's like that but most of the movie. Um yeah. <laughs> I think I think actually what what really works about that to me is on on one hand um it's very like one it's a very in character for for Shinji. Two, I think it's important for Shinji to have that time uh in in uh the story to uh cope with everything that's been happening oh, yeah. because a lot has been happening. Mm-hmm. Um and and three, I really like that um in that time, we get a lot of everyone else, right? Because mm-hmm. the thing about Eva is um, a lot of Eva, because it's kind of mostly told from like Shinji's sort of point of view, really, um, and we follow Shinji a lot. We don't get as much time on some of the other other characters. Like this was a thing that we talked about with uh, with two point oh, where um, Asuka kind of gets like relegated to the to the backseat. Um, but mm-hmm. she really comes to the forefront in uh 3.0 and 3.0 plus 1.0. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's one really interesting and two very cool uh because I really liked getting to see uh I really liked getting to see an Asuka that was uh, like trying to move on, right? I like the idea of um while Shinji was asleep, right? Uh was was just like just not there like 14 years have passed and like everyone else has moved on um mm-hmm. except for shinji right mm-hmm. and that's like that is like the the sort of central piece of of 3.0 and like 3.0 plus 1.0 is shinji feeling like he's been um left behind because you know he has obviously the world has moved ahead without him but it is um interesting just from the perspective of like one the uh the idea of um, Evangelion as uh, as like Sekaike about like um, how the world moves in accordance to your relationships um, and and your emotional state, right? Um, right. And the the world moving past you, but also as as like you know, if we read it as a metaphor for uh, Anna's depression, right? Like it is a very 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 like common feeling for people with depression to feel as if they have lost that time, as if that time doesn't exist, right? Right. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people who have um, depression, and this is like a very common thing with um, with like queer people who um, they spent so much time uh, in their lives like closeted or not being able to express themselves um, as uh, as something that feels true to them. Right. As a result, mm-hmm. they don't get to experience um, those years, um, and those are very important years. Right. Those are like your childhood and your teen uh, years. Those are where you develop into a person, and so you have. Uh, it it's a very common thing and like you know obviously there's like 
this like kind of comorbidity between like uh, queerness and depression, not as an inherent thing, but as like a societal sort of pressure thing. Right. Um, Right. Mm -hmm. But like, it's very common for people to realize like, Oh, I'm like, I'm like getting to experience what it was like to be a teenager, but like in my twenties now that I'm like free from my parents and like the environment. Right. Yeah. And I, I I I love that, right? I love that that uh this movie is so like it's very funny because <laughs> Evangelion is like on one hand like a very like brutal action uh mecha where like uh giant flesh mechs bump into each other and like rip their arms off and stuff and like there's guts everywhere and like they're eating each other and it's horrific. But like 3.0 and 3.0 plus 1.0 are very gentle movies, um, at least mm. when it comes to addressing Shinji emotionally, right? It's acknowledging that he doesn't um, – he feels that he's been left behind, right? The, the world has moved on uh, past him, right? Because and, – and I think, like, if we go back to the idea of, like, Evangelion Sekake, it's because he, f- he feels the world has moved on, and so it has, right? And – so we get that contrast of like just like this like young locked in time Shinji and then the other pilots who um have not physically matured but have emotionally matured and then the rest of the world which has just straight up moved on right like we see Toji and he is a he's technically a oh doctor my and you're like god what do i do oh my god he's like a he's like a guy now he's like a man it was like after so i w- i would argue that 3.0 was pretty harsh on Shinji. Okay, well, all right, 3.0 was pretty harsh. <laughs> but I would say like after watching 3.0 and the beginning of uh Shin Eva and and being just like in 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 the in the slog of it, right? You when Toji makes his first appearance, it is like a breath of fresh air, just like a spring breeze in the form of Toji, which you don't right. really expect. Uh, first of all, to see him again because three like treats him like he's dead, right? You yeah, have yeah, yeah. his sister who you can tell resents Shinji on on some front, even though she's trying to be you know respectful towards him and and kind of friendly. Um, and secondly, he receives Toji's school shirt. Which horrifies Shinji because that, like, he he knows something bad happened to the rest of the world. He hasn't right. seen any of his friends. He can only presume that they uh, were caught up in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then he's he's here, he's back, and you you the fact that he's a representation of humanity surviving. You know, him, the character that everyone thought was dead, survives. Right. Is like it's it's so good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I think what's really astounding um, on that is that. Um, in in 3.0 like we only really get and like this is true for most of most of Ava right where uh, after a certain point the sort of other characters in in Shinji's life kind of like begin to like fade away as the world ending kind of begins right mm-hmm. um and there's a very marked difference between um even the uh first like couple uh like the first three rebuild movies which are very much about um you know like nerve and seal and these like big um military governmental organizations and that being kind of the only thing we see really right mm-hmm. um and like obviously in the show we get to see a little bit of of uh Shinji's school life we get a little bit of that in the rebuilds um yeah but 
after like you know after the 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 point at which the world is supposed to have ended you know third impact or near third impact right um that, that it stops being relevant but i think it's um a very marked difference uh you can see in in the last rebuild movie where um instead of that right instead of uh everything being gone you get what what is left behind right and mm-hmm. you get to see toji and you get to see him living in this like very rural communal space um yeah. like and like it is very communal living right everybody kind of knows each other they rely on each other for survival um mm-hmm. all of the like uh like all of the ladies are um they they go farming right and toji is like filling in for kind of the doctor role and mm-hmm. um all of that stuff is it kind of shows a very different worldview than than the original Evangelion did. Yes, absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. The idea that uh, in the post-apocalypse there are still people with relationships with each other, you know, um, attempting to to continue living no matter how hard it is. Right. That's such a like. That's such a marked difference from the end of Evangelion and the the end of Evangelion yeah. the movie. Right. Um, <laughs> totally. Where all that stuff gets like kind of abstracted away and and yeah. washed away and like it's shinji coming to terms with like kind of his his stuff like you know mostly like you know uh, obviously through the influence of the people around him but like you know he comes to his own conclusion about that right um and that's like the most important thing but in this one you get to see all of the the very little things um and you get to see how they affect like um new ray right the the ray that's yes. not ray right yes and how they change her and how they kind of like influence her and essentially make her like go from copy of human being to human being right yeah it's a very clear progression and it's very very cool to watch and it makes a lot of sense you yeah. know not oh, only totally. with Anno's like kind of sort of new changed worldview but with the idea of like you know what what is it that makes us I- into people right you know mm-hmm. the the sort of topic of ray has been um one that in the Evangelion space has always been kind of contentious, right? The mm-hmm. idea of of this is just like a person that we made in the image of uh, of of Gendo's dead wife and Shinji's mother, right? Mm-hmm. And so Rei fulfills this very like abstract role um, where she, uh, you know, grows through her relationship with Shinji, right? Um, mm-hmm. But is at the same time still this kind of like mother lover figure this like very freudian uh like yeah. figure um and the rebuilds kind of take that and they they very like gently kind of move her into being more of her own person mm-hmm. um, and then she turns into goo obviously but like you know it's an <laughs> evangelion movie <laughs> but everyone turns to goo eventually <laughs> yeah but I, I think that that is also that's also important like because it's like oh no that's sad but also like it shows us Shinji's own progression within the movie. And, like, you know, the idea that uh, that Shinji, you know, when he was at the end of 3.0 and, like, watched Kaori die um, and in, like, an hour, right, into 3.0 plus 1.0, it's... He's spending all that time just traumatized. He can't do anything, right? Um, but then when Rei... Like, new Rei dies, um, that's the moment, like, that Shinji has kind of come to terms with everything. And you can see the way that it, it affects him is different than the way that, like, Kaoru's death affected him, right? He's grown up in a way. And I think what's interesting is um, a lot of times um, 
Evangelion, right? Most of Evangelion, I, I would say like 80, 80 to 80, 80 to 90% of it, right, is basically inside Shinji's head. It's so much about Shinji, right? Because, yes. you know, it, that's the way that it was crafted. That's the way that it kind of operates and works. Um, mm-hmm. But what's remarkable about uh, Shin Evangelion is it is, it's kind of not about Shinji right. really, right? Right. So much I of think it that's takes so place outside of him. Yeah. Yes. It's it's that Shinji is more of like um, an observer character in this movie. It's not like him thinking to himself or talking to himself and and images are being spliced across the screen in front of our eyes of of what he's thinking of and or what's happened to him and and that kind of like very classic evangelion level of storytelling mm-hmm. it's it's the story just like kind of very methodically paced and him just kind of going and experiencing what's happened to the world and we don't spend hardly any time at all in his head it's mostly time that we spend with uh, other characters. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Like, mm-hmm. it, it. it's interesting because, like, um, so Kaoru dying, right, is if we can kind of read Kaoru as, like, uh, like Shinji's idealized self, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in addition to his boyfriend and whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> like, Kaoru represents the kind of person that, like, Shinji wants to be, the kind of person who can, um, who is, like, pretty good at making relationships with other people, um, who can navigate the world as, like, a, you know, kind of, like, an adjusted person. Like, Kaoru doesn't really have hang-ups, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, th- like, when Kaoru dies, right, uh, Shinji feels like he loses that part of himself. He he loses mm-hmm. his idealized self, you know? Mm-hmm. And in a, in a way, he, like, is awoken very brutally from this, like, fantasy into the cold, dark reality of of real life and right and Shineva is just him dealing with the fallout of that and right it is it is like very it's like slow it's methodical it's in many ways like kind of from the outset looks very harsh but is truly very gentle um about how it treats Shinji and he kind of comes into his own as a result of that right yeah, it is it is legitimately like he watched his childhood dreams and therefore his childhood die and get robbed from him. And then he wakes up in this new world and kind of has to pick up his life again because he can't just sit there forever. And I think one of those pitiful moments of that part of the movie is when he decides that he has to eat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He decides that he has to live and, and make that decision to move forward. Despite he he can't just not make a decision, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and it's it's interesting because I think um the status of Ava pilots uh comes comes under uh sort of uh the the microscope when um Asuka is talking about how like Ava pilots were were basically forced to grow up too fast, right? These mm-hmm. are and like obviously this is something that we we've been talking about, right? Um, they're very flawed like people right because they're children right Mm -hmm. and it's it's interesting because there's this kind of simultaneous play between um in the story they are forced to grow up too fast um because they have to save the world right Mm -hmm. we're forcing children to save us from the problems that we have caused right um and they're either growing up um 
too quickly and that that's a problem in and of itself or they're like maladapting right Right, obviously like we Mm -hmm. have you know uh shinji's motivations for piloting the eva and we have like rays and then we have like you know asuka who does it for a completely different reason you know she wants to be recognized right Mm -hmm. and it's so interesting that um in in this movie we get a little bit of insight into how asuka feels about that you know um it's been 14 years and she has come to terms in a lot of ways with that right and her body is frozen in time um until the end of the movie when you see adult asuka and you're like hey right (laughs) um but at the same time um she has also kind of in many ways come to terms with her own problematic sort of maladaptations right um and her own traumas and i i kind of like that i like that we get to see like an adult asuka who's just fed up with the fact that shinji hasn't hasn't moved on in any way yeah um like Mm -hmm. she she says like shinji doesn't need a lover he needs a mother right Mm -hmm. and like that's 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 basically it, right? It's like that, the core. Yeah. Of, it's like the core of the the show is that, like, yes. you know, in in many ways, it's it's because Shinji did not have like guiding parental figures growing up that he he grew up so so terribly. Um, yeah, and it's not to say like you can't grow up uh, maladaptively with with parents. God knows that Asuka exists, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, well, I well this this Asuka didn't have parents really. Okay, yeah, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> And it's it well it's it's also it works a lot because it's something that um follows from Asuka's character arcs in the previous uh movies and iterations of uh of the you know the show where it's like Asuka feels like she needs to become an adult to fulfill the expectations of those around her and like mm-hmm. one of the ways that she does that is you know she um wants to uh be in a romantic relationship with with kaji right and obviously like that's kind of on one hand played for jokes but also like kind of like it it speaks to asuka's sort of uh issues um right and it is very interesting that um we get to see like what asuka is like as an adult right who realizes like i like we grew up too fast. We 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 became adults too quickly. This actually sucks, right? And mm-hmm. um and it's interesting because she in saying that like Shinji needs a, a a mother and not a lover, you know, she's kind of acknowledging that, you know, she was in that place too, where like she needed that kind of recognition and she wasn't going to find it in a romantic relationship, right? She mentions how, like, you know, I was, like, really into Kaji, um, and, you know, I probably had a crush on you when I was younger, and Shinji's like, thanks, man. (laughs) 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 Right? (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Yeah, I think... uh, I'm actually just really fascinated that they went this route of analyzing all of the other characters in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's exactly what the series kind of needed to, to to tie it off at the end. Yeah, well, it yeah. it feels like such a such a good like uh, capstone on mm-hmm. where the characters have been, and these are characters that have evolved for thirty years, you know? right? Yeah, um, these are characters that have existed for a very long time, right? That, like, there's the idea that uh, they're growing up too fast in in the fiction, but on a sort of meta narrative level. Um, they are forced to be children forever, 
right? Because of the way that uh, we experience media and how that kind of like locks this section of time forever, right? Mm -hmm. And so in, in the popular culture, like Asuka will be a child forever, right? And so she right. is physically a child forever, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a very interesting way of addressing that, you know? <laughs> Like it, it's 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 also very funny because Oscar's just a jaded adult for the whole movie, right? Okay, He's so like, like I don't want yeah. I don't want to put on pants. Fuck you. Yeah, no, I actually. So when I was first watching this movie, I was like, man, Oscar's naked like basically the whole time, right? Like aside from when she puts on like her her white plug suit or whatever, mm -hmm. she's basically just naked. But even then, like her her body is constantly being thrust in, in front of the camera. Right. And I I think of how it contrasts with her first appearances on the show. Not necessarily like she wasn't naked because she was in front of like Shinji and, and stuff like mm -hmm. that. He got embarrassed and whatnot. But they literally have a scene where they contrast that scene where yeah, she's right. naked in front of Shinji and he has no reaction. And likewise, her reaction to that is completely different from how it was the first time right she mm -hmm. she's just kind of like disgusted with him um rather than being embarrassed um and she's just s sick of him versus like you know kicking him in the face like she did before um and so i think it's just an uh, uh and like a rather on point representation of how done she is with everything like how much she just doesn't care is why she's just naked for most of this movie. Yeah, yeah, and and like there is there is definitely um a lot a lot of that just in general with with Asuka. Just like you get to see how uh fourteen years has changed her, right? Yeah. Um, and it's it's really interesting, and I I kind of like I I really like the way that the the other characters were were treated, right? Um, and how we get to see where all of them have kind of gone in, in the, the missing time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, obviously we get to see like Toji and he has like a child, right? Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> and, and that's like kind of, and you're just like, oh man, what do I do with this information? Um, but you know, you can you have like, um, like, uh, like Misato has a son who she like decides basically to like, abandon and and be mm -hmm. like i cannot raise this child to be a healthy adult i will let the community do it right and it is like on, on one hand you're like misato come on and on the other hand you kind of you understand right you understand where she's coming from with her yeah. own hang-ups about her well parents. i think it, i think that and i think that's so interesting because during this movie both her and gendo basically learn how to be parents right right she, they both abandoned their sons and yet their sons were able to meet during this movie and kind of hang out and like each other um and the difference being that like misato at least comes to this realization first as to how to healthily interact with shinji like giving him a hug and encouraging right. him to move forward and stuff like that and then gendo doesn't do it until the end of the until well, the very end of the movie. yeah basically <laughs> but he yeah. but he does give his son a hug and and mm -hmm. you know apologizes um, yeah. So I think that's just really that's really cool. <laughs> well, it's well the thing is, um, if we if we read like the rest of the Evangelion series as as canon, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the kind of like way that she uh feels about uh, or the way that she kind of like um 
interacts with Shinji in, in End of Evangelion is in many ways, like, it feels like it's because of uh, her own kind of, like, weird hang-ups about, about her parents and about her dad. Right, right? Like, yeah. Like, she's just like, this this will fix things. No, uh-huh. no, Misato, this will not fix yeah. anything. <laughs> right? And it's... In in many ways, it is very like it's a very like kind of juvenile idea of uh of what it means to to interact with like your uh the adult figures in your life and what it means to be be a grown up and mm-hmm. this movie readdresses them in a way that shows like growth and maturity right, right? yeah mm-hmm. it it just handles it like like Misato is has has become a parent basically right it, and it's it's kind of ironic right in giving up her child she has learned how to become uh, a parent right and and she kind of becomes this surrogate parent for shinji and Mm -hmm. she kind of in doing that allows him to to move on in many ways right Mm -hmm. and like have a mother figure in in his life for for once in his life right right you know um people talk about how like misato is basically like shinji's mom right but i think in in a lot of ways like that's true but also it doesn't feel as fulfilled right as like as like perfectly encapsulating until like this right, right yeah definitely because um, I, I think that i think that in in the earlier movies like misato is still grappling with how to handle all of that yeah there's still a level of immaturity there um mm-hmm. and that's why it feels like like her attempts at trying to resolve shinji's problems feel inappropriate yeah, um, right. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that the anime focuses on how she there was like an emphasis on sex in her life and how that was like her outlet or whatever. Sure. Um, and the fact that she almost projects that onto Shinji became wildly inappropriate um, towards the end mm-hmm. uh, in the anime series. Um, and so the fact that you get to see that genuine growth from how she used to be like you know um someone who really didn't know how to handle this kid was kind of she was kind of trying to be like a big sister slash guardian to him but couldn't really fulfill either role right um and then now she um has the confidence to you know be able to guide him forward yeah well it's it's like um in in kind of the previous iterations and the previous movies misato feels like um she's chinji's family like very obviously very clearly but it's only now that it feels like she is his mother, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's that's pretty cool. Uh, I I like I like the way that their relationship uh, progressed in this movie. Um, oh yeah, definitely. And and I, I like the I like the way that uh, that that came out. Um, speaking of okay, actually, there's one one very small thing I want to touch on before we kind of like. Um, address the, the like kind of big topics of of like gendo and marnie and stuff right um <laughs> so i like that um the the spears of uh hope and despair oh Gaius yeah and yeah Cassius, yes. are yes, like yes. uh <laughs> like endlessly intertwined with each other i like yeah. that um they are both these uh very kind of damaging ideas uh in in the way that they're presented like the idea of like if you are in despair, you can't do anything, right? Mm-hmm. But if you are clinging to hope, like a, a hopeless hope, then that's the same as despair, right? It's the same. And right. 
it's very cool um, if we kind of like zoom out and look at uh, Gaius, the spear of, of mankind's willpower and knowledge, right, is is the key to unlocking uh, the end of Evangelion. If we like kind of look at it from a broader perspective uh, about like Evangelion as a, uh, a kind of a picture into a uh, an ending world, um, the idea that you can't fall into hope or despair, right, at the sight of environmental collapse, right? You cannot simply hope that things will get better, and you cannot despair so hard you do nothing about it. Um, it is, it is mankind's willpower and knowledge that will that will pave the way um, for maybe even just an attempt at fixing the things that we've done. Right? Because like mm-hmm. the impacts are basically man-made catastrophes, like second impact, third impact. They're like they're man-made like uh, environmental disasters. Mm-hmm. Um, meant to fix humanity in kind of a, a a weird way right but like if we read that as uh as uh, an environmental kind of thing then um then gaius the the spear of mankind's willpower and pol- uh, uh, uh willpower and knowledge is like the idea of us banding together as human beings so that we can maybe do something about the environment that's collapsing just ask me how i know it's smoke season here you know? <laughs> I I like the idea that um the in, the intertwining of hope and despair is so um aptly represented in Gendo's motivations and the effects that he has. Like his mm-hmm. motivation being that hopeless hope of seeing Yui again. Right. But because he's clinging to it um so hard and at the deficit of everyone else, he's just causing despair in his wake and he only he doesn't end up manufacturing Gaius. He only men- ends up manufacturing Cassius. Gaius is like the spear that represents everybody um, on like in like Misato's faction, right? Right. Like coming together and like doing something that realistically was was in the first place kind of impossible, right? And that's cool, you know. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. cool. Uh, I also liked that the 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 final Ava was the imaginary Ava. Um, <laughs> yeah. There is. <laughs> There is something so, like, okay, here's the thing about Evangelion, is on one hand, it is very, like, deep in that there's a lot of things in it, and a lot of those things may not make sense to begin with, but it's also very straightforward. It wears everything it wants to say pretty much on its sleeve. Like, it's actually not that complicated to, like, kind of piece out what what the fuck Anna was saying. So, it it is just... Both very cool and very funny to me that the imaginary Ava is the last one, right? And it, mm-hmm. because it plays in this, this space where it is the line between imagination and reality, like where we can turn imagination into reality, um, and where imagination bleeds into reality, right? Mm-hmm. Like this this intersection between reality and fiction, how they play with each other, is literally like probably the only thing Kirakiano has been thinking about for the last 30 years, (laughs) right? Like, because, you know, when when you think about it, right, Evangelion is this very embedded piece of media in nerd culture. Pretty much everybody knows about it, um, and a lot of people, uh, experience it in a way that is in many ways counter to the way that uh that Anno intended, right? People are like, oh yes, 
Asuka is my waifu, five uh, ever, right, right? Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, obviously, uh, in many ways, um, it's I think it's pretty safe to say that like Ano sees that, and given where he is now, at least he's just like that doesn't seem very healthy to me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and like obviously, you know, on one hand, um. It is. Uh, it is very clearly this. This entire movie is just Hideaki Anno saying, "Please, for the love of God, I beg of you, go touch grass." Right? <laughs> I touched grass and it was fucking incredible. Right? And on the other hand, it's it's not like it's not Anno saying like this is all worthless. Like this should all be destroyed. You're all like maladaptations. You all you're all like sickos. Right? It's Shin Eva feels like such a because it treats Shinji in this way. It feels like such a gentle like guiding of of people into like the real world right and that's very clear at the end of the movie when when Anno just is like all right goodbye Evangelion it's over welcome to the real world (laughs) it's literally like that's literally what the movie is yeah it feels like they round off the characters in a way that they become less of their like fetishized paper cut out versions mm-hmm. of themselves and they become like 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 fleshed out human beings and well, they um, well the thing is that like um in in the first place i i don't ever think it was that they were uh portrayed that way is, is no that they, they weren't were betra- portrayed that way, that way. Right, right exactly they were interpreted that way and it feels like there's a very keen awareness of that and therefore the treatment of that is to show everyone hey this is these are the characters and these are this is how they grew from their experiences. We don't forget that, you know, what they've been through and this is mm-hmm. how it's affected them and how they've chosen to to live their lives. Right. Yeah. Um So yeah, I mean obviously that is a that is a very important thing to uh examine when you are looking at Evangelion, uh specifically because End of Evangelion ends with just like a shot of a real movie theater, <laughs> right? It's like the, all of the all of Ava has been kind of like prototyping for like the rebuilds, and like this is the sort of like through line between End of Ava and and Shin Ava is it's literally just and now the real world, right? And mm-hmm, and like right, it's very kind of jarring in End of Ava. It feels very like weird and jarring mm-hmm. and it makes sense but you're like whoa what the fuck right mm-hmm. but in in Shineva, again it's like such a gentle like shepherding right it's like yeah. all right listen guys like i i've been there right i know what this is like i know what it's like to um to be depressed and to seek like escapism as uh right as as the cure to that but that's right. not that's no way to live forever, right? It it feels like such a like such a uh uh, uh like I've been there, like it's such an like an empathic, yeah. like I've been there. Um but you can move forward as well, right? It is not impossible for you to do so and it, it is it, like it will be hard, but it will ultimately be better for you. And like it makes a lot of sense that um the first three rebuilds are uh at least in the the English titles, right? Um obviously the the Japanese titles are Joha Q and then um Shin Eva, right? Um but uh the English titles of You Are Not Alone, right? Um the first movie of of Shinji like realizing that he's not alone. 
mm-hmm. you cannot advance the the uh, kind of end point of where Ava stopped, right? The idea that, you know, you can't continue forward. Um, you don't have the ability to continue forward. Um, and 3.0, you cannot redo. You can't fix your mistakes. And then thrice upon a time, right? Um, it feels like looking back at all of Ava and mm-hmm. and just thinking about it, like sitting down mm-hmm. and thinking about Ava, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's literally the movie. This is such a like yes, sit down and just think about Evangelion yes. movies, <laughs> yes. right? I I love that. Unlike the rest of the series, this movie really puts it out there. Its exact messaging. And it's stated mm-hmm. very precisely so by the characters. They 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 clarify everything. They're like, yes, Shinji had feelings for Asuka. Yes, she had feelings for him, and, and so on and so forth. Right? They just they lay it out very flatly, very clearly, so that there's no room for like wibble wobble and and yeah, it's <laughs> because they wanted. I think they were very intent on getting their message across. Um, as, and as and then as they say goodbye Evangelion, yes. and then they say Neon Genesis Evangelion. They say yes. goodbye to all the Evangelions, and they create a yes. new reality with no Avas. And that's the Neon that's, Genesis. That's so funny. It's so it's incredible. It was so... Okay. <laughs> like Anna was like, I'm done. Yes. No more. Ava doesn't exist anymore. I've written it out of existence. <laughs> But yeah, let's um, <laughs> let us pivot and talk about uh about Gendo because Gendo is really oh, man. um this very central figure in Evangelion, despite mm-hmm. the fact that we only ever really see him from like this like bottom up <laughs> view from Shiji, yeah. right? He's just um always in his machinations and <laughs> right. Um, so we on one hand know a lot about Gendo, right? We know like why he's doing what he's doing, we know what he's doing. Um we we know like uh he's been scheming this because like he wants to see his dead wife again, right? And yeah. it is very interesting that uh Shin Eva makes the decision to just address Gendo. They're just like, "All right, now Gendo." Right? Because when um when uh Anna was writing Evangelion, right? Um, you can very much tell that like Shinji is um a metaphor for the way that that Anna was relating to the world, right? Yeah, and you know Anna has come out and said like, well, by the end of it, I I really was just feeling like Gendo, right? And yeah, when he was doing this movie, he felt more like Gendo than Shinji, <laughs> and it's that is that is um pretty much the the kind of like culmination of of a lot of the stuff that we've talked about, where like. Yeah. It it's kind of time to address like Gendo, right? Gendo has yeah. essentially caused Evangelion to happen, right? And he has been this like antagonist figure for so long, and mm-hmm. and then Shin Eva just ends that with them like fighting, and then Shinji realizing, oh, fighting is pointless. It is pointless right. if I kill my father. I cannot kill mm-hmm. my father in a way that matters, right? Mm-hmm. This. This idea of um, this Oedipal idea of you must kill your father and have sex with your mother, mm-hmm. uh, you must become your father. That cycle gets broken because Shinji realizes it's pointless. Right. Yes. And then they just have a conversation. They just sit down and they talk to each other. And like, here's the thing: is like I said, Evangelion is very deep and also very straightforward, right? Because 
it it is very um it makes a lot of sense for Gen- like Gendo and Shinji to have this final conflict where they yeah. just kind of like duke it out. Yeah. But it's so Ava to just decide um oh this is actually pointless. This doesn't do yeah. anything. No, I I actually love that. And I know that there was I I read like a couple things here and there about people saying like oh I think Shinji's transformation or like like come to realization during this movie was kind of abrupt, right? It happened like off-screen or whatever. My interpretation of it is that this has been happening over the course of the series where all of these yeah, characters in totally. Shinji's life have been teaching him these things. He just wasn't he just didn't become aware of it until now. And now that he's aware of it, it was literally when they were fighting in um the new uh the new colony that Toji was living in, the new village, mm-hmm. that Shinji was reminded again, oh, if if I keep fighting with my father, it destruction is going to happen and nothing nothing good is going to come out of this, right? right. They they were in the ru- in the ruins of the village. And then he was like, "Okay, well, I have to do something about this. This isn't going to happen. I have to sit down with my father and talk with him." And that's mm-hmm. when you you realize, "Okay, finally Shinji is like has absorbed all of his experiences and he has learned from them and he knows how to address his father in a way that's different from how he's tried to address him previously, which was through confrontation or through, you know, yelling right. at him yeah. or whatever. <laughs> well, it's it's a very clear sign that like Shinji has grown up, and it doesn't it doesn't feel abrupt to me because it feels no. thematically appropriate for the point yeah. we are in in the story. Right. right. It's it's kind of time for Shinji essentially to tackle the source of all of his problems. Yeah, right? right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and I like that uh, that Shinji is able to recognize that. Um, that Gendo was was like him, right? He was yes. afraid of making relationships, and yes. he made one that that really mattered to him. And when he when he lost Yui, he felt like he was afraid of be, not being able to be alone again. And that's a very real and like just frightening feeling to have, right? And yeah, you kind of get an idea for why Gendo fell into this uh this very obsessive spiral, right? And it's like not you know on one hand it's it's very like uh it's it's very cliche right to have like a character who's just like i'm doing all this so i can bring back my dead wife right but <laughs> and and i think in the rest of evangelion it kind of feels that way but like when you when you have that conversation in in shin eva it actually kind of hits home like how much that 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 obsession has like taken him and twisted him and it makes sense Right? Oh yeah, no, definitely. It, it you it makes sense so much and the fact that like it does reflect upon Shinji I think is so like it it hits home because like they they bring up the the theme a lot of the of the little tape player, right? That mm-hmm. Shinji carries around that used to belong to his father and that was his way of essentially blocking out the rest of the world. And that was how Shinji by inheriting it blocked out the rest of the world. And right. so Gendo was obsessed with Yui, and likewise Shinji ended up becoming obsessed with Rei to the point that he caused, he nearly caused the a, a third impact. Right. Yeah, yeah. And like you, you have this amazing like thematic progression where yes. Shinji makes all of the same mistakes that his dad did. Uh, yes. dad did because his yep. dad essentially like uh, he inherits them from his father because yes. because of the way his father acts. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and then Shineva is literally just him working through those problems. Yes. And deciding I don't want to be like that. 
And that's remarkable. (laughs) Actually, Mm -hmm. like it is, it is actually remarkable that, that uh, the resolution to all of this conflict is Shinji just sitting down in like nowhere space and having a conversation with his father and his father realizing like all of the damage that he's done to Shinji and realizing like, there's really nothing that I can do for you here. I can't redeem myself for you. I can't become your father in a way that matters. Like, so I'll just step out of your life, right? I, I, will, I will remove myself from, from your life. In a way, it's, it's, it very much mirrors the way that um, Misato uh, does not interact with, with Kaji Jr., right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Um, she realizes it's a lot healthier for him if, like the he's raised by the community if he if he doesn't know who his mother is and likewise Gendo realizes like I've done a lot of damage to my son in uh, in pursuit of something like all along Yui was right here right like right this is what this is what Yui wanted like she wanted me to raise Shinji and I right. I couldn't do that right so the the next best thing for me right now is just is just to remove myself from his life before I can do any more damage. And like, and then he just blinks out of existence. He just blinks out of reality, steps off the train and he's, he just is no more. And mm-hmm. he takes the tape recorder with him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he, the fact that he turned around, apologized to Shinji while hugging him, child Shinji, right? The, the mm-hmm. child that he left at the train station. And then he blinks out is like, he, he acknowledged exactly what he did wrong, and then he left. He, yeah, well, and, and it's it's not like he's just leaving him either. He recognizes no. that that Shinji has grown into an adult, and like is going to be okay, right? Right. That he has people who are kind of uh, he has relationships with now that matter to him, and that he doesn't, and, and like he doesn't even need the tape recorder anymore because he doesn't need to shut himself out from the rest of the world anymore. And he, so he just takes that hang up and he leaves. Yeah, he he gives up on his ambitions. I think is is basically mm-hmm. what the stepping off the train, you know, symbolizes or whatever, among other things. And then Shinji is able to to essentially take up the mantle, but in a different way, and realize his own wishes with the neon genesis and all of that. Yeah, right. Um, but uh, mostly just by confronting and and acknowledging the other characters and the other people in his life and. Mm-hmm finally stepping outside of himself to try and help them. Um, just like he tried to uh, talk with his father and finally try and understand him. <laughs> right. It, it's, it, it is like such a, and, and this, this is like, who, who would ever think that, right? <laughs> like the fact that it happened is, is incredible, but like, um, that's, it's, it, it on one hand is so like, it's like almost anticlimactic and I it's almost that's almost the point, right? It it feels like um people were expecting this like one thing and they got something very different but also something that is very straightforward and makes a lot of sense and ultimately is very difficult and not easy at all, right? And it's painful, but it is ultimately the the healthier choice, right? Uh the better thing, right? Is oh yeah? Is Shinji like resolving all of all of the the trauma that he has, all of the problems that he has, and and deciding that he can he can move forward, right? And Gendo stepping out of his life is is indicative of that. But it's also like 
Gendo's stepping out of of Shinji's life is in a lot of ways like like Ano, right, who is feeling himself in Gendo now, right? Um as a as a man 30 years older, right? Is feels like like it's him removing himself from Ava, right? Is he doesn't need to be there anymore. And he recognizes that like Ava can be uh important to people, right? Um he recognizes the impact that it has. And so uh Ano's like, well, I mean, the best thing I can do now is just to like fix all this shit and leave. I'm done now. <laughs> right? And it, and that's like that is basically like you can see that throughout the whole movie, right? Um Yeah. He's basically just like like this is it? This is the the end of Evangelion and I will do everything that I can for you as as people who have been following along and people who feel like they might need Evangelion, right? Um because in a way, like Anno needed Evangelion. And so mm-hmm. he was he's just always been like for the past like 30 years he's just been building evangelion over and over again and, yeah. and until eventually he comes across like the answer that he wants right evangelion mm-hmm. is like a question that he's been trying to answer for a long time yeah that, mm-hmm. that shin eva answers that he, mm-hmm. ha- he finally has an answer to yeah and it's you know it's it's an answer that you may read in the other ones right the idea that you need human relationships but it feels it doesn't feel so real until this movie it feels like he really comes across like how that happens right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think that moment where i guess gendo and ano have that acknowledgement and they just kind of like pass it on to the younger generation is like it's not something that we've ever seen at least i don't think i've ever seen in any iteration of of evangelion of the entire series at all that that gendo would ever embrace shinji like that Um, yeah well he (laughs) Like taking Shinji as kind of like this, uh, this figurehead for for the the broken and uh, maladapted child, the like, uh, the otaku who could never like grow up, right? He essentially is is just like, here you go. I leave it up to you now. Yeah, and the fact that he acknowledged that he was afraid of Shinji, I think, was also extremely poignant. That that Gendo. Desiring a world without E.T. Field still had one of his own. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it it was all like the focus on Gendo during this movie was just absolutely brilliant. I loved it. It was a lot. remarkable, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. and it it was in many ways unexpected, but also it it just makes sense. Like every everything about the latter half of this movie is just like bonkers in the most mundane way possible right <laughs> they're like what is the what is the best possible resolution between um a 30 year feud between uh, shinji and his terribly abusive father a conversation um <laughs> how should we end the movie um this this 30 year like uh uh t- titan this titanic like project mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of like of uh, of Japanese culture, something that has come to represent anime in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Just say goodbye to it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, just write out Evangelion. It just doesn't exist anymore. Like it's so, <laughs> it's so like it's almost like cliche in a way, um, but it's not because it's so against what you would expect. It's anticlimactic on purpose. Like, and it's like, no, yeah, you know what? No. Fair enough, Ano. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I. 
I enjoy if only because he so Shinji says goodbye to each of the characters after you know hashing out their problems with them and sure. yeah. and and whatnot. Um and then at the very end after he decides that he's going to rebuild the world without Evangelion, he still has the choker. And I think that's just so Oh, that's mm-hmm. so good because he takes it on when he decides that he's going to pilot the Ava again r- willingly. He takes mm-hmm. it on, and after you know, all the traumatic stuff has happened, Kaoru's head blowing up, and then him being reminded of it when he sees that Asuka also has one. Um, and then at the end, when he's finally rebuilt the world, Mari removes it from him, and right, she and. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, okay, all right. Obviously, it is now time to talk about Mari, destroyer of all that is Evangelion. <laughs> yes, please. Um, so, yeah, you're you're completely right. Mari removing the choker from from Shinji, basically releasing him from the responsibility of being an Ava pilot, is the the just perfect like yes. endpoint, the perfect encapsulation yes. of yep. of everything that Mari is meant to be. Yeah. Right? Um. There are a lot of kind of theories about, like, Mari, um, because Ano has kind of said outright, he's like, I want Mari to be a character that just destroys Evangelion. And people are like, yeah. what the hell does that mean? Well, yeah, right? what, is, <laughs> what are you saying? Yeah, and, <laughs> and, like, obviously, uh, m- m- uh, people suspect, like, you know, uh, Mari is kind of a stand-in for, for Moyoko, um, uh, Ano's wife, right? And that would make a lot of sense. Um, I think there's a little bit more to it, obviously. I, I don't think it's as straightforward as that. But I think that um, in many ways, Mari does represent kind of everything that, that Moyoko might represent to to Ano, right? It is very much like um, Mari is a character that comes in and she does not have the same hangups as the other Evangelion pilots. You know, mm-hmm. she is um, she does things for herself, um, but not in a way that is necessarily selfish, but just in a way that is forceful. Um, she is a lot more like an anime character than a lot of the other characters are. Um, mm-hmm. Like she just she has this like vocal tick where she goes like, yeah, um, and there's a lot of jokes about that. Um, she's very like uh, Genki. Um, she uh, is a very stark contrast to the just very depressed rest of the cast and she's also a breath of fresh air um i think Mm -hmm. we talked about her in the uh the anniversary episode last year but um as a character and uh, in this movie it is uh it is revealed that she does she has in fact been there since um uh gendo's like college days where like yes she introduces uh her to, to to gendo like yui to gendo um and uh, Fuyutsuki calls her um, uh, Maria Iscariot, uh, Iscariot being, <laughs> uh, like Judas Iscariot, the guy who killed Jesus, kind of, <laughs> right? And that's very funny because we're still playing with the biblical imagery, obviously, yes, but yes, like yes. the idea of Mari as uh, as the betrayer. And in many ways, like fans, I th- I think like in general, the like demographic that we we generally associate with um with Evangelion, the like uh the like neckbeard otaku hate Mari. I'm pretty sure they just hate her. Right? Really? <laughs> um, at least that's what I've heard. Um, I, I mean, on one hand, it's probably just like ah, wife women to the other hand, like very much like um uh, how dare you be happy, Ano? Right? Yeah. No, um, I I've definitely thing. heard that point of view is that they blamed Ano. For being happy and getting married, and right, that's exactly. ruined it's the like, series. It's like, how dare you? And Ano's yeah. like, guys, it, it was very hard for me. It, <laughs> it will be very hard for you, but you can do it too. I yeah. promise. Right? Yeah. And 
the thing is that like Mari is a character who um is so not everything that Ava is that she like is the perfect contrast to come and just wreck shit. And she really just does, right? Mm-hmm. Like she comes in, takes up a lot of screen time, she like kinda like bullies a lot of the other characters into like um it, like she teases them, right? Yeah. Um she is it, it's it, it is very funny because she uh acts both uh she acts very much like a a friend, right? Um a, a like the kind of friend to like okay. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but do you know when, like, you are just, like, very, like, vegetable depressed, like, I, I, I'm catatonic, I don't want to do anything, like, the, the Shinji, like, I watch Kaoru die depressed, uh-huh. right? You don't want to do anything, and, like, you have that one friend who just keeps inviting you out to do stuff, and, mm-hmm. like, even though you're not really feeling it, maybe once in a while you'll be like, yeah, and, like, you appreciate the fact that they keep reaching out to you, right? Yeah. That is, in a lot of ways, what I feel like Mari is to, to both Shinji and uh, Asuka, right? Yeah, definitely. I think her she's in this interesting position where she doesn't really try to, at least not to me, manipulate the characters' actions in any way. She doesn't try to force them to do things like uh like how other characters kind of like try to like push Shinji this way or that way. She doesn't really right, yeah. do that with him. When he decides that he's going to hide or run away, she just kind of like lets him mm-hmm. do it. She just facilitates the what the characters are doing essentially um yeah. which i think is is very it, it's cool yeah it well it's um so like mari is like essentially the the sort of big driving force behind um all of the the changes that happen between the the yeah. rebuilds mm-hmm. and the uh the rest of the series because she doesn't exist in the rest of the series right mm-hmm. um she is she's like unique to the rebuilds and some of the extant properties but like um it is interesting to me that she is a, a character that is essentially primarily thematically there just to just to like stir stir shit up right mm-hmm. um and and like i like that right i like the fact that uh, i like what you said about how, how she doesn't force anybody to do anything really she is a character and a person you can take very much at at face value right mm-hmm. um she wears her heart on her sleeve uh she wears her motivations on her sleeve she just she says what she means right and i think that's a very important kind of character for shinji and asuka to have right someone who isn't going to lie to them or tell them platitudes but right. is just going to be as as straightforward and as honest as possible right and you can i think in a lot of ways um we can kind of credit mari um for Maybe Asuka's development into like an adult in uh in uh, Shineva, right? Sure, yeah. They seem to she... have a very like close relationship with each other uh when they interact, and it, it's it's, you know, it, I like Mari, right? I like Mari yeah, as a character. Yeah, yeah, Um, and I like the role that she serves in disrupting everything people kind of <laughs> expected from Ava, and <laughs> like Mari does like. 90% of the piloting in the last two movies. She does. Right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and it's cool. You you get through Mari the like uh the like anime uh cool mecha fighting. Ooh, shiny, right? Oh, th- 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 uh 100% uh ten tangent uh 100% aside like um it was very very cool in the opening sequence when she was shooting the gun and the barrel melted because she shot it for too long. <laughs> I was like, "Huh." I have never seen any media do that before. That's that really does happen. Cool. Right? We do like um, to see that. We do like to see that. Like the, the thing is that it, like 
Ava, Shane Ava is a very contemplative piece. Um, it, it thinks and it meditates and mm-hmm. it like just exists for a lot of it. But also there's these cool action sequences and like Mari gets to like fuck shit up. And then you get, I think the coolest Asuka sequence ever. Holy shit. She's so cool. Um, <laughs> like, listen, okay. Here's, here's the thing. I know that Ava is like a, a deep, like uh contemplative piece um, uh, that works through uh, Anno's depression and is like about him growing up into a, a well-adjusted adult in society and like learning uh, that relationships with people are important. Um, also cool robot fights. Cool. Like, um, <laughs> When when you see like Mari and Asuka just like their eyes glow in the in the cockpits and they just go fucking feral, you're just I it <laughs> activates a primal part of my brain that just produces like endless amounts of serotonin. Like I could see I, I could watch Asuka fuck shit up forever. Um and obviously like in End of Ava, she she oh, yeah. really goes no, down swinging that and was... that's pretty one of the most woof, epic woof. fights in the whole series, if not the most, was was her fight. In End of Ava. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's oh mm, delicious. Like, <laughs> like when uh, when Asuka decides she's uh, gonna become a uh, become an angel, you're like, what the oh. fuck is happening? Yeah, there's she's pulling a pill thing out of her eye. <laughs> but also, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, it Shin Eva does so much justice to by its characters, right? And like. They're characters that really kind of deserve something now and now and then, given how much they get beat the shit out of, like, yes. uh, emotionally and physically it, throughout the series. Um, and it feels like, um, in many ways, you know, um, a kind of wish fulfillment, right? But it feels like that's kind of the point, right? Um, Ava feels like, uh, Shin Ava feels like it is the, the end of everything Ava, and so they give us a lot of that fan service, along with all of the um, very quiet moments, right? Yes, yes. I, I really enjoy that balance of uh, you know, the the rural parts of the movie where we're mm-hmm. in the village and um, <laughs> the robot battles, <laughs> and then of course the very psychological um, emotional resolution at the very end. I think it's all it, it all made for a very entertaining movie, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, lot, lots. <laughs> I'm just telling. You, if you like, if you like the action fights, there's some there's some fan service there for you. Um, <laughs> if you like watching anime characters just fucking go ape shit, yeah, there's some fan service there for you. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, listen, not not to not to like undermine the last like hour and a half that we've been uh, talking about uh, how important uh, going outside and touching grass is. Like, cool robot fights, good too. And like, I, okay, <laughs> this is important to this is important to bring up. Is I think that is the point, right? Is like Ano is not saying you have to like stop being um, like an otaku. You, uh, he's not saying you have to stop enjoying the things that you enjoy. He's right? Saying, yeah. Like. Mm-hmm. You can enjoy them, right? Those are the parts of the movies that he's like saying, like this is for you, right? You no, yeah, can definitely. Enjoy this, right? I I definitely felt like I mean there are a lot of you know fans are always going to be upset over one thing or another, I mean, yeah. but I genuinely feel like this movie was a movie for the fans mm-hmm. by how many things that he put into it that 
that feels specifically for fans, right? Yeah. Well, like, it is the end of a 30-year project, essentially, and so it makes a lot of sense to to thank your fans in that yeah. way. But oh, also, yeah, 100%. But also it, like, makes thematic sense to be like, okay, robots are cool. Let, let's just, straight up, guys, robots are fucking cool. Watching <laughs> giant robots beat the shit out of each other never gets old. It's never going to not be cool, right? But also, like, it is important that you remember to maintain human relationships with other people no matter how hard it is, right? Those things can exist in tandem with each other. Just look at me. I made this movie for you. Daddy made your favorite content. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, like, wow, you know? <laughs> I I can see how this I can see how this movie might have received some backlash from some people who might be a little bit bitter about how like how the Ugh. movie attempts to shepherd them into to being healthier people, right? Mm-hmm. Some people don't want to be healthy people. Look at Gendo Ikari for like 90% of Ava. <laughs> some people really just want to live in giant robot land for the rest of their lives. And like yeah. It is fine to enjoy those things and to find enjoyment in those, but it is important to remember that fiction is not reality. They may affect each other, and there is a line that it becomes increasingly blurry every single day. But, and this is kind of what we were talking about in the uh, the sample episode that just went up about like um, about escapist fiction, right? <laughs> Anu oh, yeah. <laughs> is essentially saying like, all right. I've been making Ava for like 30 years now. Mm-hmm. You have escaped into the world. I'm gently guiding you back back out. It is true. That is, and then he ends it with a real shot of the real world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the character's running out to embrace it. <laughs> yeah, right? Like even, even the characters in Evangelion are allowed to now escape the confines of their fictional space and become well-adjusted adults and live their lives. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it's so, like, it's so obvious, it's so, like, blatant, that, like, no wonder it definitely offended a lot of very specific people, right? Yeah, oh yeah, the people who don't want to do that. hmm And it's like, yeah, like, that's, that is, that is the kind of uh, demographic that a show like Remake Your Life is, is made for, people who want really hard escapist fiction that lets them disappear. Just, I don't want to exist anymore. And, like, like is I that get why it. we like this and we hate that? Yeah. <laughs> Renu, that's exactly why. That's <laughs> the primary reason why. You know? Because, because Ava is, in, in many ways, a, uh, a kind of escapist fiction, um, or at the very least, has become an escapist fiction. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, people look at Ava and they, and they see a world essentially devoid of people. Right. Yeah. And they find that to be comforting, even though that's not the point of the show. Right. And Ano comes back and he makes the rebuilds and he's just like, the world is full of people. It is difficult to maintain relationships. It will hurt like fuck. Mm hmm. But it is it is the only way you can possibly move forward. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And. I it's astounding to me. I, I don't think I don't think I've ever seen another piece of fiction that so gently 
acknowledges that uh, this may be a piece of escapism and then gently guides you back out into the real world. Actually, there is one other one. It's uh, it's Silver Spoon. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, Silver Spoon is like that. But like two. So um, but like it reminds me a lot of, of that in um, one of the central themes of Silver Spoon. Actually, this is actually funny that I brought it up because I just remember one of the central themes of, cent- uh, of Silver Spoon is running away is okay. It mm-hmm. is okay to run away and use that time to to recoup your strength and uh and like take your time and like take things slowly um but you know in Ava you get the added level of but you still have to do it mm-hmm. right you know uh Shinji spends so much of of Evangelion the franchise saying I must not run away I must not run away and then subsequently running away and then feeling ashamed about it right mm-hmm. when this movie essentially comes back and it says it was okay to run away. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was okay. It's okay to run away now if that's where you need to go. But at some point, you will have to get up and you will have to brush yourself off and you will have to, to continue moving because the rest of the world will move without you. Right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. it, it is hard and painful and, and like torturous, honestly, making relationships with people and maintaining those relationships. God knows, right? <laughs> But it's also the answer. It, it is the, the answer to, to all of the, the feelings that uh, you explore in, in escapist fiction is to eventually return to reality and go about your life and, and be fulfilled by it, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a stark contrast to so much of uh, media nowadays, which says, hey, get lost in me and never come out. <laughs> like Anna is just like alright I made Ava uh, I've been making it for 30 years it's time to go and time to go and like it ends so poignantly because they just say goodbye to the Avas they just goodbye Ava pew they all just disappear literally oh, yeah. they're just gone they just blink out of existence Anna's like they don't exist anymore I'm done mm-hmm. And every single Ava <laughs> and like Fuck! Holy shit! Cool! Yeah! Woo! <laughs> you know, um, it it's hard to say goodbye. It really is, right? Yeah, like, of course. Obviously, for us, um, we have been invested in Evangelion for for quite some time. I was kind of a late uh, a late convert to to Evangelion in general, but like our podcast is is named after an Ava reference. Our uh, anniversary yeah. episodes are Ava yeah. episodes. You know, we, mm-hmm. we talk, our, our opening for a long time was, was the Ava theme back with some <laughs> other stuff. And like, you know, it's, it's hard to say goodbye to something that has been such a big part of your life. It must have been even harder for Anno, but Anno did it and so can you. And like, that's kind of the message that he gives you. And, and then they name drop the, the series. They're like, Neon <laughs> Genesis. And you're like, all right, Anno. <laughs> okay. No, I, I love that. Hopefully he was able to make the movie the way he intended it to be, um, as much as as close as possible anyway. Yeah, and, um, yeah. And he was able to to send it off like it, and it, I think it was a beautiful send off. It was. I I one hundred percent agree. I think this is the best possible send off that Ava could have. I am yeah yes legitimately one hundred percent satisfied with this movie. I watched this movie yep. and I was like, 
I have never felt more closure for anything in my entire life. I know, right? <laughs> I'm legitimately completely satisfied. Yeah. <laughs> this wasn't what I expected, but it was everything I needed. <laughs> and I think <laughs> they they left off with enough ambiguity at the end that people who still want to like have Ava on the brain can still think about it, right? Like, what does sure. the ending mean? Why were the other pilots on the other side of the train station? Does it mean that they're, like, dead or something? Because, you know, Shinji was, like, saying how he was going to rewrite the world, but he wasn't going to undo anything. Like, all all this and that and the other. But I think, by and large, it was such a good way to end the story. And um, I'm very excited that I got to see adult Shinji and adult oh, the other characters yeah. a bit, and <laughs> yeah, it's, it was it's just, just great. It's great. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. like, obviously, th- this isn't the end of Ava for us. I mean, it is and it isn't. Right? We're still gonna talk about Evangelion. Um, our our anniversary episode this year is is going to be about the the three movie. Um, and then. Most likely, the year after that, we're, we're just going to be talking about this movie again, right? Like, <laughs> we're, we're still going to be talking about it. I think it's still valuable to, to examine and talk about. But um, as far as our kind of, like, fictional investment in Evangelion as a series, like, this feels like such a fitting ending. And I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like, it really works. It does. It works, yeah. And, like, that's... That's it, you know? Um I feel like I feel like there's nothing more to more to say, at least not now. Um maybe there will be something that comes up when we inevitably rewatch it and and talk about it. I'm sure I'll have some more new interesting cool insight uh upon rewatch, but um for now, like let us usher you back into the real world. Whoa! That segue. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Who are you? Woo. Where can we find you on the internet? I'm Renu, also known as Swan. You can find me on uh, Twitch and Twitter and Tumblr and Facebook and all that at Swandron. You can find me on Instagram at swan.drawn. I am returning to the real life outside of conventions and am working on uh, commissions. And um, maybe I'll finish Judgment very soon. Oh my um, god, you're still playing like, it? I'm in the last chapter, okay? I had to put it on pause while I was running around traveling and whatnot. Uh, and, um, and, yeah, hopefully I'll be able to like start Judgment 2 after I'm finished with it. And Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. That's it for me. <laughs> cool. Uh, you can find me all the places at Literal Soup. If you want to watch me uh, exist, uh, I... I've been streaming a lot recently. Uh, I've been playing uh, a couple of games, Yakuza 3, uh, Disco Elysium. My Final Fantasy XIV subscription is on hold because I don't have money. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'll get back to that at some point. And um, yeah. Uh, oh, I've been playing Slay the Spire too. That's a very fun game. Um, mm. But yeah, if you want to come hang out, uh, that would be that would be absolutely lovely. Um, I usually stream around uh, like nine p.m. Uh, Pacific time, uh, or maybe like a gorilla stream during the day. Um, that's just that's just the way it works, really. But uh, yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Um, 
And I think uh, I think that's it. I think that's it. Uh, our opening is by Scotty Network, and our ending is by Takamakata. And the patrons we are thanking this uh, month, <laughs> this episode, I suppose is uh, more appropriate to say. Uh, Evan Williams, Magpie Mirror Test, Claire Frostfall, Sean Dow, uh, Cherubel, Undead Uncanny, and Dylan Butts. Thank you so much for the support. Oh, we really, really, really thank appreciate you. It. Because of you, we get to watch Shin Eva. <laughs> Shin Eva. <laughs> And uh, I suppose on on that note, we will uh, see you next time. See you next time. ね。